We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us. I'm Julie Sudenko here with relationship expert, Leslie Vernick. So today we're going to deal with a difficult topic, dealing with an ex or maybe a soon to be ex. Now, there are some people who can remain friends and work amicably to raise children with their exes. And then there's the people who feel abused with every interaction, where every handoff of the kids is filled with tension. The divorce decree becomes the new Bible to live by. Leslie, our listeners could use some help with proper boundaries after divorce. Where do they start? Well, you know, I think it's really important to start with understanding that if you've been in a destructive marriage that ended in a ugly divorce, things are probably not going to change in the way that that he treats you after divorce. Um, And so sometimes expectations that he's going to cooperate, or he's going to listen to me, or he's going to give me a say, or all the things that didn't happen in your marriage probably are still not going to happen in your divorce. So I think if you can come to peace with that, I'm not saying like it, but really understand this is the way it's been. This is why you couldn't make your marriage work. And so this is why your divorce will be challenging because you're still trying to parent children together. So if you can come to peace with that and not have any expectations that he's going to have a miraculous uh, change in personality, and oftentimes situations like this, men, sadly, and sometimes women do too, use the children in a destructive way to get back at their spouses. So I think the first thing that we really want to put in front of all of our listeners is that it is in your children's best interest to have a positive relationship with both of their parents. So if you can remember that at all times, it is your child's best interest to have a positive relationship with both of his or her parents. I think it can be up to you as the person who's listening to this podcast to figure out how you want to show up, even if they still show up in a destructive, ugly way. And I think that's going to be crucial because you cannot set boundaries on another person. You have boundaries for yourself, and I'll give you a few. But these two tenets of, hey, things, if they were ugly in our marriage and he didn't listen in our marriage and he was mean and abusive and controlling and angry and hostile or withdrawn or stubborn or all those things, deceitful, that caused our breakdown in our marriage, probably it's likely that those same things will be occurring in your parenting patterns. And so you maybe even escalated, would you agree? And and maybe even escalated, especially if he knows that hurting the children in some way or alienating the children in some way or aggravating you with all these custody arrangements can get back at you for how he feels hurt by you leaving the relationship. When you're talking about making sure that the kids have proper or good relationships with both parents, I think it gets a little hairy when the ex might call and say, Hey, can I keep the kids for a few more hours? Or we're having a lot of fun. Can I keep them for another day and switch this and switch that? Should he be allowed to change the schedule for the week? I mean, maybe it's going to be fun for the kids, but you feel slighted that you're missing time with them. How do you reconcile that and do the right thing? Well, again, I think it goes back to your primary motive. If you're interested in being right 
and him being wrong, if you're interested in winning and him losing or vice versa, it's always going to be a battle about these decisions, whether they're who gets them for Christmas or who gets them for an extra hour, or can you change the weekend? I think you have to decide, first of all, how you want to show up and what's in both your and your children's best interest with visits with their dad. So if their visits with their dad are positive, and if they are life-giving, and if they are fun, and he wants to spend a little bit more time, and they're enjoying that, or he wants to switch weekends, and that's possible, I think it's positive for you to be able to accommodate that and for you to try to um, do that, just as you would ask and hope he would do that for you. Now, he might not do that for you, but if you're if, if it's possible for you to do that without inconveniencing yourself or canceling your family vacation and those kind of things, if it's possible, I think the most generous and flexible that you can be, if that's who you want to show up as, can be a good role model to your children. So he has nothing to tell your children, oh, mom won't let you do this, or mom doesn't want you to see me anymore. All those kind of negative messages that children get from an angry parent um, aren't possible because you're not showing that kind of behavior. However, if the children hate being there, if you're fearful that something bad is happening or something else is going on, then yeah, you may not be as flexible because your children don't even want to be there. And so then you might say, you know, I'm sorry that won't work for me. And this is really a really good boundary for you to have with an ex. Do not give them an explanation as to why. Yes. Because as soon as you give them an explanation as to why you can't or why it's not a good idea, they're going to argue with you. And you're going to get into the same destructive dance that you got into before, that you're going to argue and you're going to try to prove your point. You're going to try to justify your reason or explain your reason or argue and defend yourself. And the dance, the crazy dance is going to start up again about a different topic, about the children, about Christmas, about whatever. And so keeping it short and simple, no, it won't work for me. No, that's not a good time. No, I can't do that. Not why, but just no, um, is much more effective than giving reasons. And if he keeps wanting to know why? I don't think you have to answer that. I think you can just say, my no is my no. And I don't think I need to go into an explanation. I just can't do it right now. What about, I think there are some women who might disagree with you and say, you need to abide by the divorce decree to the letter, or he will give him an inch and he'll take a mile. What would you say to somebody who feels that way? Then that's what she needs to do. If she feels that being flexible and generous is not in her wheelhouse because it's dangerous for her or to her disadvantage in a serious way um, that her husband will take big advantage. He won't bring the kids home at all, or she's afraid of that, you know, them, him taking the kids. And so she needs to stay real rigid. Then I think she needs to trust herself and, and stick to the schedule. So I think that, you know, God calls us to treat people as we would want to be treated. And with an ex, obviously you've tried to do that. And that doesn't result in reciprocal treatment. You're not being treated in a good way back, but that doesn't mean that we stop being who we should be just because they're not being who they should be. Your children are always watching your interactions. And I think when you act in an honorable, respectful way, even when they don't, this is what your children will eventually remember. If you guys are biting and devouring each other back and forth in custody arrangements and passing off of children, um, your children will remember both of you being 
destructive, both of you being argumentative, and you will be stressing your kids out in all of that. So your job, again, remember, is to make this as easy and as positive as possible. You would hope that his job would be the same. He may not have that mindset. So I'm talking to the woman who's listening to this podcast who's saying, hey, I want what's best for my kids. And what's best for your kids is for you to have good boundaries for yourself and for them when it's dangerous and unsafe for them to be in his care. And any way you can do that legally is in your and their best interest. But if that's not the case, it is in their best interest for them to have a positive, warm relationship with both parents. So what if you're being the generous one, even giving up time with the kids so that he can have more when he asks or whatever it would be, and yet he doesn't reciprocate at all. When you need to keep the kids for a few hours, he's just a jerk. How do you handle that? So again, you have to decide if it's in your children's best interest for you to be with them instead of him and why. So so I think those are really deep questions. And this is part of maturing that it's not about win-lose. It's not about even Steven. If that's your mindset, then of course, you're going to be angry and you're going to be upset. If it's about what's in the best interest of my children right now, even if he's not thinking that way, your children will understand you're thinking that way. You're thinking that way. How do you deal with that anger? Because, I mean, that would make Gandhi mad. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's not fair. And there, there is this, when you're dealing with this every week, how do you deal with that anger? Well, it's not fair. And again, if the unfairness becomes so uneven that he's got the kids instead of 50-50, he's got the kids 80-20 or 90-10. Well, obviously you're going to have to make some adjustments in that camp. But if they're having family relationships and they have all the relatives over and all the cousins are playing and he calls and says, hey, they're having a great time. Can they spend an extra couple of hours here? For you to say no, because you want everything to be even Steven and fair, you're going to look like the bad guy to your kids. You're going to look like, oh, Mom is so mean. She doesn't let us have any extra time with. Is that what you want long term, especially if that's your pattern? I'm not saying sometimes you might have to say, hey, no, we've got to go to our grandma's for Christmas and our family is waiting. We can't spend extra time now because we've got to do our family things. Those are good explanations for your children. But when it's just because you're mad that he wants extra time and he won't give you extra time, the people that that's hurting are your children. And so I think this is where. Even if he's not being the grown up, it's your job to be the grown up. Your children need not only two parents who love them, but they also need one parent who's relatively healthy and trying to be godly. If you want your children to catch some of that in their own life and in their own spirit, not just talk about the Bible, not just take them to church, but actually live godly principles. Wow, that's easier said than done sometimes. (laughs) These are really tough issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where it's so important for a woman who's in this situation to have wise others. Um, We talk about this a lot in our group, to have wise others. It might be a paid professional, a counselor that you go to, that you can vent your anger to, that you can journal your anger, that you can talk to the Lord how unfair it is, how I can't stand when the wicked are in my presence. You know, I will put a muzzle over my mouth, Salma says often. And so I think it is very real that we get provoked and aggravated by people who are indifferent to 
our needs, who don't care, who actually lie to us, who mislead us, who trick us, who tell us things that aren't true or deprive us of time with our children legally if they have the power to do so. It's very common and very okay to feel your very real feelings about that. But when you let your feelings decide how you're going to parent your children, especially your negative ones, it usually doesn't end well. And so I think that's a real important point for, for our listeners is that we parent not out of our emotions, because when you're angry, you feel like punching your kid in the face, or you feel like, you know, pulling their hair, or you feel like calling them a name and you don't, why don't you do that? Because that's not who you are. That's not the kind of parent you want to show up in your kid's life. And so even though you feel terrible feelings, you want to say wicked things. Sometimes all of us have been in there. I have in those emotions, but you restrain yourself for your child's welfare and for your own sake, because you know, if you acted that way, you'd feel horrible about yourself. And if you did it regularly, you would ruin your relationship with your kid. And so feel your feelings, allow your feelings to be there. Just don't allow them to make your critical decisions about your children's best interest. What if you're in a situation where there's financial issues, maybe your ex is not paying alimony or child support, but still expects to have visitation and all the benefits of somebody who is keeping up their financial end of the bargain. How would a woman handle that situation? Well, I think there's uh, several different choices, but one is the first one is the legal route. And I would certainly talk to your attorney and say, you know, he's behind in his child support payments. What are my legal responsibilities in terms of visitation? Um, in most states, I don't think it's a justifiable reason for withholding the children. It's a justifiable reason for taking him to court. It might even be a justifiable reason for putting him in jail. But I don't know that it's a justifiable reason for withholding him visitation with the children. So I think that's a legal question that you have to get settled because if you do that, you could be the one who's actually more trouble than he is. So I think that's something that you would have to do a legal consult with about what are my responsibilities and what are my rights legally if he stopped child support or he's behind in his child support and he still wants full visitation. Um, that would be one question that you would need to ask so that you know the right steps to take legally. And then the second thing is, how do you care for your kids? If he's not paying the bills, if he's not helping with child support, you have some re very real issues about how am I going to make up the difference? And this is where it gets really hard because you might have to work extra hours. And that feels really unfair because you have to work more to pay for his irresponsibility, yet he still wants all the fun time with the kid. And we call this, you know, the Disney dad, he gets to come and play with the kids and you have to parent and you have to support and you have to do the homework and you have to do the bedtime and you have to do the medicine yeah. and the doctor's appointments. And it starts to feel really unfair. And it is, it is, it is. And so this is where it's so important that you have a place to vent to, you have wise others to talk to about it because it is unfair. And here's a story. This is really an important part of what I want to communicate in this instance, because I was working with a woman who felt this, she was feeling it was so unfair. And she, you know, was saying, you know, I, I have to, you know, I'm the one who has to do their homework and I'm the one who has to pay the bills and I'm the one who has to, you know, drive them every place. And I'm the one who has to do X, Y, Z for my children. And he, you know, he gets to play with them all weekend and he doesn't have any responsibilities and he doesn't have to do their homework because the law doesn't make him 
but I know that if they don't do their homework, they're going to fail their grade. And so I'm the one who has to stay up late and do all this. And so she was feeling very victimized by her husband. And in a sense, she was. But here's what I said to her. And this kind of woke her up to a different reality. I said, actually, you don't have to do any of those things. You could choose to be just like him. You could not take your kids to school. You could say, you don't have to do your homework. You could let them fail their grade. Actually, if you really hated parenting so much, you could put them in foster care. Many parents do who don't want to take care of their kids. And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. Like, are you kidding? I wouldn't do that. And I said, of course you wouldn't because you're not that kind of person. That's not who you want to show up in. So instead of robbing yourself of the good feeling of saying, I am making good choices as a mom, I get to take care of these kids. They are my responsibility and I want to take care of them. You're framing it as I have to because he won't. I'm the victim. And that robs you of all the joy that you have in being the better person, in doing the right thing. You're choosing to do the right thing. And that's a good thing. Let yourself Enjoy that. Let yourself see the positive of that instead of feeling like you have no choices. You have choices. You can make bad ones just like he's making bad ones. And what will be the consequences to your self-esteem and your self-respect? That's an incredible perspective. And I think just switching it to where you can think about it like that really would make a difference. Right. And so it's so important when you're in this kind of parenting situation that you give up the idea that it's going to be cooperative and it's going to be mutual and it's going to be reciprocal and it's going to be fair. It wasn't that way in your marriage, if you're listening to this podcast, and it probably most likely will not be that way in your divorce. One other thing I want to say, when we talk about mindset, this is really important. One of the mindsets that you will have to give up if you want to be at peace with this arrangement is that you don't need anything from him. Like you don't need with a capital N him to understand your reasons for what you do. You don't need him to like your reasons for saying no or saying yes or whatever you do. You don't need him to agree with you. You don't need him to approve because once you need something from him in that way emotionally, he is going to hold you hostage. And you're going to feel angry and upset and disappointed when you really come to the conclusion, hey, I can be okay inside, even if he disagrees with what I've decided, even if he doesn't like that I'm not going to give him extra time, even if he doesn't like that I'm not going to change weekends with him because it's not good for me, not because I can't, I, I can't. And he doesn't like that, but I'm not willing to bend over backwards like I always did in our marriage. And so your no, he's not going to like. And that doesn't mean you should say, yes, you do what's best for you and your children, not what's best always for him, unless that's also good for your children. It kind of goes back to that concept of detachment that you talk about sometimes. Would that be right? Absolutely. Detaching from your need, even financially, if he's not paying for his child support and you need him, you need his part of the money to support your family and he's not doing it. Um, you can get caught in, he should be doing it. Why isn't he doing it? This is so unfair. This isn't right. And you're absolutely right, but you still don't have the money. And so there's a portion of energy that you have to begin to accept that I may not be able to get any money from him. What else am I going to do? So that you don't need, again, with a big old capital N-E-E-D, his 
financial support in order for you to be able to support your kids. What else do you need to do? Maybe you need to downsize your house. Maybe you need to ask your parents for a loan. Maybe you need to get some part-time work on weekends when he does have the children. Um, there's things that you may have to do to supplement what he was giving you in order for you to be okay. Because the more you're dependent on him for anything after the divorce, he can still pull your chains. And so the less you're dependent on him for anything, his benevolence, his kindness, his fairness, his approval, his liking you, his um, generosity financially, all of those things are assumed in a normal relationship. But when you've been married to someone who's been destructive enough that you felt you had to get a divorce, then don't expect him to change. And I think this can be really helpful for you to really come to terms with that. I think what you were saying earlier too, whether he's paying the financial obligation or being reciprocal with the time or whatever, it's just not treating the kids like property. I see that sometimes with exes where it's, you owe me this and you owe me this. And yet these are little people that are being pulled back and forth and really doing what's best for them, but it's hard because it is so unfair sometimes, whether it's financial or uh, time or whatever it would be, it's hard. And I think it's real easy to vent those feelings in front of your children. And I think that's where it puts them in an icky place, whether he vents his feelings about the divorce to them and they start seeing mom as the bad guy that you ruined our family, you ruined our life because he's venting that way, or you're venting that dad's such a cheapskate and he's not paying the bills and I don't know how to support you and you're scaring your children. Yeah, um, I think it's really important that we understand. I grew up in a divorced home and my mom um, did not handle herself honorably. Um, it was my mother who was the abusive one. And so I really experienced what that feels like as a child to be alienated from my father, who was trying to be honorable, who was paying the bills, who was coming every week. And so what I'm saying is that when you have one parent, whether it's usually women are listening to this podcast, so I'm going to assume it's the husband who's been destructive. It can go either way, but you put a child in the middle and it makes it really tough for them because they care about both of you and they feel torn and they feel anxious and they feel afraid. They feel afraid to show affection for a parent if the other parent's going to be mad about that. And so you don't want to put your kid in that position if you can help it. But if the other parent, if their father is acting dishonorably, abusively, deceitfully, harshly toward your child, I think it's all right, not only all right, but important for you to also stand up for your child, whether it's in front of him as a parent or privately saying, I know it's hard to go with daddy. I know he can be hard to live with sometimes. That's why I couldn't stay married to him. I think deep down your dad loves you, but he doesn't know how to handle certain things. He doesn't know how to handle stress. He doesn't know how to handle people disagreeing with him. He doesn't know how to handle little kids, whatever it might be. That doesn't make it right the way he treats you. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. You really want to show empathy for the pain that your child is in not expecting your child to have empathy for the pain you're in. Well, that's good. Your own father had to do that in your situation, didn't he? He had to stand up and get custody of you because it was an unsafe situation. Yeah. So my father didn't talk to us about that. We didn't even know that was happening. He just used the legal means available to him to put a stop to my mother's behavior. I think that was the kinder thing for us as children. He never... I can't ever, I don't have any memories of him ever disparaging my mother. 
Um, he just did what he needed to do to get us out of there legal wise. And that was rare back then that fathers would ever get full custody of a child and their mother would have their rights terminated for that. Court systems are much more 50-50 these days, maybe, and it's hard. It's not usually happening unless you can prove that your child is being abused, which my father could prove. But I think that there are practical things that have to happen. You know, how do you make mutual decisions about whether the kid goes to a soccer camp? How do you make mutual decisions of whether the kid's going to get a medical treatment or go to counseling? And oftentimes, again, he's going to argue with you. He's going to try to get your goat because he can by being stubborn and using the child as a weapon to hurt you, to upset you, to get you twisted in knots, to even have a conversation with you. And so I think this is where you need the support to be firm. There's an acronym, BIF, brief. You want your interactions with him to be brief. You do not want to ask him to do anything for you unless he has a pattern of being willing to do that, but you don't want to keep getting his rejection. Don't expect him to be different than he ever has been. Brief, informative. I need to pick up our child at five o'clock. He has a doctor's appointment. Or I need to pick up our child at four o'clock because I have other things to do. I can't negotiate that. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm, right? No, I can't. No, that won't work for me. You don't have to tell them why. You don't have to get into all kinds of explanations. That's why the brief is important. The friendly is important, not, you know, have a great day, although you could say that, but you want to be at least polite. There's an app that is called Our Family Wizard that's really helpful if communication over the phone is consistently destructive. When you have this app, everything is recorded and everything is seeable by the family court. When you're on a phone, you can't record the conversation without someone's permission. Well, you can record it, but you can't use it legally. And so it's really important for you to document your interactions. And if your interactions are hostile, if they're accusatory, if they're inflammatory, if they're not truthful, at least have it in writing. Don't have it over the phone. Those are a boundary. I, I won't have any more phone conversations with you about things. I will communicate with you on this app, Our Family Wizard, or I will only communicate with you by text. These are ways to keep things in that BIF framework, brief, informative, firm and friendly and documentable so that if he is doing um, accusations, he's slandering, he's threatening, all of those kind of things are right in the text, right there for people to see. So that if you do have to go to court, if you are going to press charges, if you are going to file for, for a protection order for full custody, you have some documented evidence of his interactions or his threats to you or to the children instead of just your word against his word. Well, and that brings up a question that I had, even if you don't have children or the children are grown, let's talk about for a moment slander, because that's a really difficult thing, whether it's on social media or just within your church or your friend groups where he's slandering you, maybe giving a wrong version of events and you feel this need to explain what really happened. How do you deal with the slander of an ex when it comes to why you divorced or what's happening now or, or any of those situations? You know, the Bible is really clear. Uh, if you read through the Psalms, especially um, that people will slander you, people will create a false narrative. They did it at Jesus in Jesus's time. They called Jesus an idiot. They called him out of his mind. They called him demon possessed. 
people will slander you um, and you're not going to change their minds. And so I think the thing that you need to be clear with, it's going to happen for some of you, it's going to happen. There's nothing you're going to do that's going to change the person who does that. That's what they do. That's what they want to do. And you haven't had any power to influence or impact them in the past. You're not going to have it post-divorce or during divorce. So the thing I think you need to say is the people who know me either will ask me or will know that that's not true. The people who know me will either come to me and ask or know that that's not true. And if you find people who you thought knew you, believing the narrative that he tells, that tells you something. That tells you that they're not your true friend. And that's important information. So don't try to win them back by going, wait, 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 you don't understand the whole story. Because they never even bothered to come to you and check. They never knew you as a person. They never knew your heart that you wouldn't want to do that, that that's not who you are, that you wouldn't be that kind of person. And if some of it is true and some of it isn't true and all of those kind of things, for you to go around trying to defend or protect your reputation among everyone sort of makes you look insecure and scared as well. And so I think the best strategy is to, you can refute it saying his narrative is his narrative. It's not the story. It's not the truth without having to say, this is what really happened. You need to hear my side of the story. I'm really telling you the truth because then people are going to say, well, you're both having a very different side of the story. And so I think you can just simply say, I don't agree. It's not true. That's not how it happened. And those who know me know that. Those who know me well know that. And I'm not going to spend my energy or time defending or explaining myself to people who don't really know me very well and probably are going to still believe him anyway. The persons that you do want to do that with is your children. So if he's creating a false narrative to the children, oh, mommy's taking all my money. She's taking me to court and she's going to get all our money. You have to correct that. You say, actually, I don't have the power to take all of dad's money. The judge decides how the assets are divided. I don't have a say in that. All we do is follow the law. So I think correcting, especially as they're little, but even when they're older, even when they're adults, one parent may give a very false narrative. Mom's going through menopause. She's losing her mind. She's not thinking clearly. Mom's breaking up our family. And if you have been the good Christian wife who has long suffered and endured lots of destructive behavior, keeping silent and suffering, believing that was your job as a good Christian woman, and so your children have no idea what you've lived with, it might be time to have a, a true confession of, hey, this is what I thought was the right thing to do to keep our family together. I thought it was my job to absorb all those blows and kind of lie and pretend just to keep everything together so that you were raised in a stable family. But I realize now that I also lied and pretended, and that didn't serve you actually now because it's hard for you to believe that what I'm saying is true, but it is true. And I'm sorry that I wasn't strong enough and wise enough earlier in the marriage to do something different with dad than just go along. And then you'll have to leave it up to them, whether they're mature enough and willing to hear your side. It's so hard in our conquer group. I see so many women being alienated and trying to deal with that. And these boundaries are so good. What would you say for friendships? If you had very close mutual friends, is it possible for your friends to continue being friends with both of you or do they need to take sides? How do you 
handle that kind of thing because it might be a really scary thing to confide because then it'll get back to him. It changes everything, divorce. So how is a, a healthy way to handle friendships or maybe relationships in the church? You know, I think people don't want to take sides um, in divorce and perhaps in most divorces, that's not necessary that they are, if the, if the divorce can be amicable and there isn't this mudslinging going on and couples can agree that their marriage is over, usually that's not happening in the Christian world because we're not supposed to get divorced for amicable reasons. We're supposed to get divorced for real serious bad reasons. So that amicable divorce usually doesn't happen uh, for women who really are doing everything they can to keep their marriage together and then they can't. So I think it's normal to want your friends to believe you and want to take your side and sort of see him as the bad guy because he's hurt you, just like you would do that with your children. If you had children who were harmed by a neighbor or whatever, you would take your child's side and you probably still wouldn't be friends with your neighbor. But the truth is you can't tell your friends who they can like or who they can be friends with. All yeah. you can do is observe your friends and see how they handle this situation. And if they are saying, hey, I want to be neutral, I don't want to take sides, that's their choice. And then you get a choice of deciding how good of a friend they're going to really be. So if they're good friends with him, I probably wouldn't say things about right. him in front of them. I wouldn't share my angst or my anger or my sorrow or my worries because it very well could get back to him. So you'd have to decide how close and in what context you want to be in a relationship with these people if they're choosing to be neutral and in relationship with both of you. And that includes family members, because sometimes you've been married a long time and your family members, your sister or brother are really good friends with your ex. They have been all along and they don't stop that. And that may impact your willingness to have a deeper or closer relationship. Maybe you can go to Christmas together and be superficial and friendly, but to actually share your heart and go deeper and say things that are going on in your life, maybe that's not safe because it won't be held sacred or in a trustful place. There was a divorce in our family after 25 years, and it was hard because that family, you know, the extended family was like my family. We did spend holidays together and I loved them very much. I was very grateful that my family member did not ask me, never said a word as far as whether I would continue the relationship with, with them or not. I think out of respect, it did diminish quite a bit, but I don't feel guilty for sending a Merry Christmas wish or remaining friends on Facebook or any of that kind of thing. And I respect the whole situation by not discussing the divorce at all, but I've been very appreciative that my family member didn't expect me to cut all ties because it's like a death. Divorce really is. And not just for the two people that were married, but for the extended family as well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, if we could leave one last message, divorce is hard. It's often ugly, it's hurtful, but how you handle that and where you go with it is really your work to do. You might not have controlled whether you 
could stay married or not because someone was not willing to do the work they needed to do to be honest or to be faithful or to be safe. And so divorce was your only option. But how you move forward from there and how you handle yourself and what you do with yourself and how you grow from that devastation, how you build back your life is really your work to do. And it's so easy to get caught in the grief of what wasn't. And there is a place to grieve what you lost. But there's also a time, a time to grieve and a time to let go and begin to build anew. And I think that's really important for women who are going through a divorce and have been divorced to understand, or men, that there is a life on the other side. And there is community and people. And what's really important is to build that community and build your own mental, emotional, and spiritual health so that if you ever decide that you might like to be married again or in a relationship with another person again, you don't repeat yes, the same mistakes in either choosing the wrong one or the ways that you were in the relationship, for example. Maybe you were too passive. Maybe you were too accommodating. Maybe you were too much of a people pleaser, which are all typically good Christian girl traits. And so you didn't even recognize that you were marrying or dating a very selfish, entitled person because you never did say no. You always accommodated. You always bent over backwards to please that person. So you never really understood how entirely self-absorbed they were until into marriage, you had to say no. You had littles to take care of. And so you couldn't be at his beck and call. And then you began to see the dark side of his rage and his selfishness, his entitlement. And so be sure to do your own work so that your picker and your discernment meter are healthy in developing new relationships, whether they just be female friendships or future romantic relationships. Be Do your own work. You have work to do post-divorce. One last question, Leslie. What if he remarries or is in a relationship with somebody else? And maybe you like them, maybe you don't. Do you begin to deal with this new person when it comes to your kids? There's so many issues that come up with that. What are some good guidelines for this situation? I think there's a varied way of looking at it. But the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is the phrase, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And in some ways, the new wife and the new stepmom is going to have impact and influence on your children if they're still little and they're still going to his home. And so I think it is in your best interest and your children's best interest to have some sort of friendly relationship. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to go shopping together. You don't have to talk on the phone, you know, as girlfriends. But if you're hostile and rejecting of this new mom because of your own insecurities or your own lack of healing or because you know, she's your replacement and all of those things that happen in our spirits that we have as women, legitimate feelings that we must work through and come to the other side of. It is in your children's best interest to know who's influencing and impacting them. And she might be a wonderful woman like you were. And you might want to get to know her and encourage her and support her because she's going to give you information on how things are going at home and your children are too. Or to know her and know she's not a nice lady and she's not honest and she's not treating your children well. That's important for you to know too, so that you can help your children prepare for those visits if they still have to go. 
and to know how to have their own boundaries and to speak up for themselves or to get what they need or prepare ahead of time to get what they need so that it's not such a awful experience when they do have to go visit. So I think having that openness and willingness to have at least a superficial, congenial, positive relationship with someone who's new in their life is a good thing for you and your children, even if you don't develop warm, fuzzy feelings for her as a deep friend, it's important to at least know her and accept her as a person in his life and in your children's life. If someone's listening to this and recognizing I've got a lot of work to do because I'm just not there, I'm not able to do these interactions without my anger or resentment, these negative feelings coming through, what would be some of the resources you have that you would recommend? So we have a lot of group coaching programs. We have uh, one called Walking in Core Strength, which is open right now just for another week or so that you can sign up for. We have a large group of Christian women in a membership called Conquer, which is year round. Um, and this is a really important support group for just things like this as you're navigating. Should I stay? Should I go? What What are the criteria for deciding it's just bad enough to file for divorce as a Christian? That's not God's will. What do I do? And, and then- it is God's will because it's so unsafe and so toxic and so dangerous. My children need at least one healthy parent. So I need to get out. And then I'm out and I'm still unhealthy because I'm angry and bitter over him remarrying and not paying the bills and giving me hassles with the kids. And I still don't know how to manage my own feelings. I don't know how to calm myself down. We work with that in Conquer as a large group. You don't get individual support. Um, it's a low cost membership, but it gives you a lot of teaching tools, a lot of videos to watch, small group um, conversations with the coaches once a month, twice a month, actually. So I think those can be helpful resources for you. Certainly get some individual counseling or coaching if you need to go to divorce care, which can be very helpful. Uh, make sure that you get support because this is a journey that you don't have to take alone. And there are others who've taken it before you that can help you avoid some of the pitfalls that you might fall into, which are very natural in our own emotional grief and anger over our life isn't turning out the way we thought it was. And we're pretty upset about that. And how do we handle that emotion and feeling so that we can get through the other side and rebuild a new life? I'll be sure to put some links to those resources in our show notes. Leslie, would you please pray? for our listeners that are dealing with some destructive ex-husbands or spouses? Lord, it is hard when families break apart, even for good reasons. It still is hard. There is grief. There is pain. There is suffering. We are crying out, this is not the way it should have been. And it's not. But because of sin, our world isn't the way it's supposed to be in many ways. And so, Father, help us to trust you in the midst of hard. Help us to dig in deep and learn from hard instead of rejecting hard. Help us to grow through hard and learn about ourselves in hard and not just focus on what the other person did that was wrong. Lord, help us to grow into God-centered people, not marriage-centered people, husband-centered women or men-centered wives. Lord, help us to find our self-esteem in you, that you declare us worthy. You declare us as your daughters. You say we are created. We are your workmanship created for purpose that you have created for us to do. Help us not to lose sight of that, even in a failed marriage, that our only purpose is not to be a wife and mom. That's part of our purpose, but it's not our only purpose. Help us remember we are here for a reason. 
And so, Lord, help us to do our work, even when we are victims of treachery, even when we are victims of deception or abuse. We still have our own work to do to get healthy and whole. And our children need at least one healthy parent. Help us to do that work for ourselves, for you, and for them. Father, give our listeners the courage and the resources to get the help they need if they need some outside help. And Lord, just show them specifically through your word how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Our goal is for each of our listeners to receive real, practical relationship help. If you know small group coaching would benefit you, go to leslievernick.com forward slash group coaching. And may God bless all of your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.